Now let's pray and ask for help. Father, we know that without the work of your Spirit, our eyes are blind and our ears are deaf. Faith cannot be mustered up, but is a gift from you. And so we ask today, through this very ordinary means of your word being read and proclaimed, that your spirit might come and do a miracle among us in opening our eyes and unblocking our ears to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, a message that is foolishness to the world, but is the power of God at work in us unto salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our Old Testament text this morning asks us a pretty pointed question. And it's simply, in times of crisis, where do you place your faith? And my guess is for everyone in the room, we know the right answer. So if this was like a multiple choice question, like in times of crisis, where do you put your trust? And you had A, my financial resources, B, my ability to muscle other people into doing what I want them to do, um, C, Facebook, Google, or Amazon, <laughs> or, or D, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Like, we would all circle D, ace, pass, right? But every teacher and student in the room knows that answering a question on a quiz and em- embodying that uh, in, in the grit and the grind of life are two entirely different things. So the question is, where does our heart fly in time of need? Not so much what do we know in our heads. When life doesn't go according to plan, are we quicker to fly on our knees to his amazing grace or to seek provision through Amazon? And when conflict is high in the home and there's screaming and there's tears, do we find comfort in God literally with us? Or do we fail to remember his nearness when sickness strikes for you or your children? Do our hearts rest in the fact that he loves them more than we ever could? Or do we quickly imagine and fear the worst? The question is, in time of crisis, where, where do we trust? And we'll see this played out through the actions of King Ahaz and the proclamations of God to him through the prophet Isaiah. And as Quinn said, for the next four weeks, we'll look at how this Old Testament prophet groans for the coming of the Messiah, the one who will set his people free. This morning, three points will guide us. First, crisis reveals where our faith lies. Um, Second, the sovereign Lord intervenes with promises, warnings, and a sign. And third, the sign is fulfilled. Before those three points, just just to recap, uh, again, historical setting. This is really important to see the nuances of what's going on here. Um, Assyria is this juggernaut of war. 
It's on a path to utterly and ruthlessly conquer the world. And, and as that's happening, um, it, it, in its path are these three smaller nations. So if Assyria is the cat, then Judah, Israel, and Syria are, are mice or rats. And there's this interplay happening between them at the time in our text. And then secondly, it's important to keep in mind who this King Ahaz is. Ruler of Judah, one of those small nations, but the nation who's been given the promises of God, the covenant of God, and yet he's leading them um, without faith. We know from 2 Kings 16 that he's uh, sacrificed his son and taken out of the temple of God um, the instruments of the worship of Yahweh and and incorporated um, idolatry, pagan worship into the temple. He's forgotten the promises. So first, crisis reveals where our faith lies. Our text opens in the days of Ahaz, and he's received this news that these two other small nation states, Syria and Israel, are banding together against him. And and conflict among these three states was real, but it was not uncommon at the time. So verse 2 should really strike us. Notice it says, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake. It's interesting that the nation of Judah is referred to here as the house of David. Why? They are those who have been given the promises of God, the, the covenant of God. God has been with them. He's been faithful to them. He's been a father to them. He took David from the pasture and made him a prince. He promised to appoint a place for them to plant them so that they may dwell and be disturbed no more. He promised to give them rest from all their enemies, and yet here they receive news that seems to run against the promise of God. So naturally they're faced with a question, which is the question that all crises raise, where will your heart rest? In the promise of your God or the news that you've received? And their hearts do not rest in the promise of God, but are shaken by the real threat of these two small nations. And God is revealing their need for him. And to this day, God's people still receive terribly difficult news, news that's almost impossible to square with the promises that we've been given in him. We don't need to look beyond our own body here at Grace to see examples of that. Real bad news, suffering. And we, like Ahaz, tremble in our hearts. We experience this inner angst, which for some of us is that type of emotional turmoil that leaves our chests in knots and our shoulders tight, crippling anxiety, fear. This this deep shaking of the inner person is something that for many, if not most of us, we're familiar with. And this shaking reveals our need for God, for something firm that we can grasp onto. See, there's always grace in our crises because there are opportunities to cling to Christ, to turn from our self-sufficiency, which is always insufficiency, and to fly to him. Crisis reveals where our faith lies 
Beautifully, though, this text doesn't leave Ahaz in that spot. Our second point, the sovereign Lord intervenes with promises, warnings, and a sign. God tells Isaiah, go, tell a- go find Ahaz. And where is he? Right? He's at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, like anxiously surveying Jerusalem's water supply. Do we have enough water to weather the siege that is coming upon us? With a shaken heart and shaking hands, having chosen not to lean into these promises of God to the house of David, Ahaz is taking matters into his own hands, self-reliantly trying to figure out if his city has enough water to weather this siege. And we do the same thing, don't we? When, uh, When money runs low. Like who among us, if we're honest, is quick and prompt on our knees in prayer to quickly remember that we have a good father who provides for the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field. And mostly, we immediately clench our fists around what we do have and anxiously put our minds to work planning how we might make some more, how quick we are to forget the promise of God. And Isaiah comes to him and says, remember the promises, Ahaz. He says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. For what these two nations have planned against you will come to nothing. What you fear the very most, what's causing you to be internally shaken to the point of paralysis, is itself in the hands of of the sovereign Lord of the universe, who is your Father. And more, it's even being caused by him as a grace to attempt to turn your heart back to him. He desires our hearts to trust him. You see, we also are given promises, and we also need reminders a couple of weeks ago, Hannah and I were out to dinner with Kevin and Haley. We're sharing a difficulty, a crisis that we've been going through. And our brother and sister are just listening to us. And toward the end of the conversation, Haley made this comment. She said, y'all need to make some cards. I was like, what? Like, we need to make some, some cards? She's like, yeah, you need to get note cards or something like that and write what's true, like scripture passages on these cards and just fill your house with them so that whatever you do and wherever you're going, you're seeing and you're hearing what's true from God's word. Like, those were good words. What was she doing? She was speaking out of experience, knowing that crises and life difficulties proclaim loudly to us reason upon reason that our God is not trustworthy and we need the word of God to come to us and remind us what is true. We need to be reminded that we are the house of David, the recipients of the covenant, and that the Messiah is Jesus and that Syria and Israel are just two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Like Ahaz, that life-dominating fear of yours, that's that's just too stomped out cigarette butts. Do do any of us need to make some note cards and fill our houses with what's true? But this promise to him comes with a warning. Verse 9 
Ahaz, if you're not firm in faith, you'll not be firm at all. One commentator put it this way, Ahaz, trust or, or bust. Yes, he's given you these great promises. He's given them to Judah. He's reminded you of them. And, and he will accomplish his purpose. But if you do not have faith in him, you'll be swept away like Syria and Israel. Anything that you choose to put your full trust and hope in other than the Lord will ultimately destroy you. And, and we know from 2 Kings that Ahaz has not chosen to be firm in faith. He does not turn to the Lord. He's, in in his, his craftiness, his wielding and dealing, he's actually turned to the king of Assyria to seek protection from Syria and Israel. And in doing so, he utterly forsakes the Lord, fills the temple with the gods of Assyria, idolatry. And like the, the foolishness is hard to miss here. If Ahaz, the mouse, is under threat of these two rats, Syria and Israel, he turns to the cat for salvation, which ultimately destroys him. But so it goes, right? When we forget the promise of God, when we forget his word to us, foolishness upon foolishness, if we're not firm in this faith, we'll not be firm at all. And yet the Lord gives a sign. God pursues this hard-hearted man until the end. There's always grace in our crises. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. God knows Ahaz's heart. He knows that it's not firm, that it ultimately will fail. He knows that Ahaz has already covenanted with Assyria, forsaken the Lord, and yet he offers a sign. The Lord's saying, I know you're weak. I know you doubt. So ask me for proof. Whatever you want in the whole world and I'll give it to you. Can you imagine this type of offer from the Lord? Here's your chance for any proof you'd like. But Ahaz refuses it. And notice how he refuses it with this pious, churchy language, right? He knows Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he utilizes this proper theology to hide his hard heart from the grace of God. Ahaz probably could have answered the multiple choice question correctly. Circle D, pass. He knew his scripture. Yet when the crisis hit, he did not turn to God because his heart was not filled with faith. So we're reminded that no amount of knowledge of the word of God will save us. We're not made right because of the proper theology and the right notions about him in our mind. Knowing God is vastly different from knowing about God. Ahaz knew about him, but did not know him. Faith which is our hearts made alive by the Spirit's work is what we need. And this reality is highlighted in the Christmas sign and prophecy that follows. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you should weary my God also? 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Faithless Ahaz refuses to fly to the Lord in faith, accepting the offer of a sign. But God gives the sign anyway. The promise of Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to pause for one minute because I think this is important to say. A lot has been written about this prophecy in this context. Right? So, so thinking people ask, okay, so how is this helpful to Ahaz at all? Like Ahaz, your heart is shaking at the threat of these two real nations and you're given a promise that's not going to be fulfilled ultimately until hundreds of years later. How, how is that helpful to you? And, and it's interesting to see um, the ways that primary and secondary fulfillment of prophecy might be at play here. Many scholars see uh, an immediate fulfillment in Ahaz's lifetime, perhaps through his own son or through Isaiah's son. See chapter 8 later um, with an ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And, And those are really interesting things. But I think where we should spend our time today is in realizing that this sign, which Matthew, we heard, spells out clearly is fulfilled in Christ, comes to Ahaz, who hears it, but rejects it. See, signs never create faith. Only the Spirit does that. Faith is this gift that we're given. It's not mustered up by signs. But once it's given to us, the Spirit strengthens it with signs. So Ahaz, a virgin, will give birth to a son. He'll be called Emmanuel. And God The one who looks on the vastness of Assyria and sees a bee. The immensity of Egypt and sees a fly is coming to dwell with you. Trust him and you'll be delivered. Turn from him and you'll be destroyed. Hard-hearted Ahaz continues with his plan to fly to Assyria and his heart is destroyed. And so it is with everyone who rejects the promise of Emmanuel. Faith in anything other than Jesus ultimately leaves us destroyed. But before we're too hard on him, Ahaz, that is, we have to ask ourselves, would we, do we act any differently in similar situations, in the heat of fear and anxiety, shaken like a tree in the wind and fearful for family and life. Ahaz didn't listen to the promise of deliverance through the virgin-born child. In what ways do we do the same thing? For us, the sign is fulfilled. Matthew makes that clear. But the promise of salvation is the same as it was for Ahaz. Matthew and Isaiah are both calling to us today to look upon a baby born of a virgin and there to place our trust. We too this morning are being extended a gracious invitation to behold the virgin has conceived and born a son and his name is called Emmanuel, God with us. And here's the tricky part. We too are tempted to believe that this is utterly irrelevant because our minds and our hearts and the way that we make our life plans are, can be, 
so profoundly informed by what this world says is powerful and not by the promises of God. And in the eyes of the world, this promise is truly foolishness. First, virgins don't conceive. And even if one did, what would that matter in comparison with the military might of Assyria? Let's be honest, the message of Christmas is foolishness in the eyes of the world. What are we more dazzled and intrigued by and captivated in our hearts by? Interesting YouTube videos about the current technological advancements in the world? Elon Musk's next fascinating endeavor? What's he up to? Where's true power at work in the world right now? Or in Emmanuel, God with us? Who can really affect change in the world today? Who's really powerful to do that? And I think if we're honest, our hearts and minds are shaped by things other than him. Why? Like, where are we turning to get our mind and imagination shaped and formed? I get, I get those screen reports on my iPhone, right? Screen time up 25% this week, an hour and 20 minutes a day. Maybe I'm the only one. With relative minutes in the Word, relative minutes in prayer, and, and no wonder we're captivated by these things. But oh, that Ahaz could see it now. Where is Assyria today? That vast empire of military might in which he sought salvation and ultimately destroyed him is forgotten. Another fallen empire in the vast annals of history. But what about the kingdom of Emmanuel, that virgin-born son? It's growing, alive, active, expanding in childlike ways through faith and not through human power by utterly counterintuitive, mundane, and weak means like word, sacrament, and prayer. His kingdom continues to grow in every nation of the world, nook and cranny of this earth. The church is vibrant and alive. True power, comfort, hope, and life lies in faith in this child who is Emmanuel, God with us. So the question before us is not can we answer correctly. Like Ahaz, we know the correct answers. Rather, it's for us to look at our lives and ultimately our hearts and ask, do we believe in Jesus, the son of the virgin, Emmanuel, as the only savior powerful enough to truly help? And by, by way of application, I'd like us to ask three questions, three areas of our lives where I think this might be especially pertinent right now. Our time, our fears, and our speech. And I think these more or less arise from the text. First of all, our time. There's an application here in the way we spend our time. When Ahaz should have been on his face in prayer before God, he was checking that water supply. And, and surely this, this can't mean we don't take action in time of need. But it does ask us to think about our hearts while we're taking action. And for many of us, we wake up in the morning 
And we're so quick to launch into that rat race of our days. Problem solving. Wheeling and dealing. Checking things off the to-do list. While our hearts are trembling. We push through that inner angst, ignoring the call of the virgin-born son who says to us all, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Assyria will not. It will eat your lunch and destroy you. This Christmas, during a season that's so full, I've heard it many, many times already. Man, December is already so full for us. Might we be characterized as those who are resting in the promise of the Messiah, not anxiously scrambling here and there with hearts shaken in the wind, that the Lord might do this among us? Second, our fears. It's pretty safe to wager that we all have a deep existential fear or two. And will my children really turn out in life? What if they don't? Was that decision that I made just a terrible mistake? What if I never recover from this? Will I have to work in this job that I hate forever? Will my spouse ever change? Will I ever find my footing in life, relationally, vocationally? Will my relationships with others always seem so shallow? What if all our friends move away and we're here alone? This text challenges us to remember that we can't fix these things on our own. We must turn to the promise of Jesus. These things are too heavy for us. And if we try to bear them without Jesus, they'll crush us. But we're given this great promise of Emmanuel, the virgin-born son, God with us. We don't have to carry them alone. So this Christmas, might we be characterized as those who are resting in the promise of the Messiah, the one who holds the future, not fearfully overcome by a future that we don't know, that the Lord would do this among us. And then finally, our speech. For most of us, we know the right things to say. We can pass the quiz, D, Emmanuel. That reality begs the question, are we truly talking about him? So when we take a look at the conversations we've had with our friends and family this past week, have we been making much of Christ? Isn't it easy to go through a whole social gathering, whole day at work, or even eat a whole meal with your family and not talk about him? When we hear a friend's burden or a crisis or a struggle, in what ways can we incorporate the hope of Christ into those conversations and offer encouragement and life? Brothers and sisters, let's talk about him to one another. I was speaking with David Elston this week, sharing a difficulty that I'm going through. At the end, he looked at me and said, you know, Joe, 
That's not unlike what Jesus went through. Like, Joe, look at, look at Emmanuel. He's with you. And that was ordinary. It was a five-minute conversation. But my heart left strengthened, encouraged, hoping in Christ. Why? Because a brother came to me and said, look at the sign, fulfilled in Christ. There's hope and life there for you. I was deeply encouraged. Might Jesus ever be on our minds and our tongues as we interact with each other? For all of us, if we're honest, in times of crisis, our hearts often do fly to places other than Christ. Our text has reminded us that God deeply desires that we would fly to Jesus, but this is only possible with faith. So, we're left remembering that it's a gift from Him. Encouraged and instructed to turn to Him and ask that He might form this in us. How do we end? We end by praying what we just sang. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our sins and fears release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Let's pray. Father, we pray those very words. Come, Jesus, the one who's born to set us free. We ask you to set us free from our sins and our fears that ultimately, Father, we might find our rest in thee. We need you to do this. We ask, come Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.